Hi, welcome to Not For Nothing. My name is Kyle Leon Henderson, and we are talking about grief again today. I wanted to do a couple of episodes about grief because this is the first time I've ever had to really, really grapple with grief. Um, I have lost grandparents in the past, but... I think when your grandmother's 88, it doesn't really come as a super surprise that she passes away. But in September, I, my father passed away at the age of 71, and I'm 33. So that's a little bit younger than you would expect to lose a father, I think, with a normal lifespan or whatever. But um, I know that a lot of people have lost people this year, 258,000 people have died because of COVID in the United States alone. So that is a lot of people who loved those 258,000 people. Thankfully, my father didn't pass from COVID. He had dementia. Um, he was a Vietnam vet. And, you know, anybody who knows a veteran from that time knows that there are a lot of health complications that come with that. Um, but, yeah, I just really wanted to explore some of what was coming up. And it's interesting because the last episode was recorded with my friend, best friend Sarah um, the night before my father died. And this episode was recorded several nights after my dad died. And I am speaking with my sister. My sister Megan has been my best friend since, since the day I was born. She was my first playmate. She was my first friend. She was my first fight she was probably the first person I ever fought with, and, you know, she was the person who always would um, be there for me, and she still is to this day, and I don't think I could have gotten through those three or four weeks after Dad passed without my sister and her family, and I hope that I've helped her cope with our father's passing just as much as she has helped me. Um, after this episode, I'll be talking with my mother and, um, those episodes were recorded while I was back in Alabama, but, um, now I have a different in insight two and a half months later, but that'll, I'll get into that, um, several ep episodes from now, but for now, I hope you enjoy and gain some insight from my conversation with Megan Henderson Trammell. Hey, sister. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, as, as many hours as I have done podcasting, I still don't know how to start a show. <laughs> hours and hours and hours, like days of podcasting material, and I still don't know how to start a show. But I'm here with my sister, Megan Trammell, Megan Henderson Trammell. So, as you know, I've always used my show as just sort of a, you know, this is what's going on in my life and maybe it can inspire y'all too. And as I uh, have said in uh, the past couple of episodes, um, I'm here in Alabama for a month because first I was here because dad was sick and it turns out that dad actually passed away. And so I was here for the funeral and then the weeks after, and so that kind of led me to want to start exploring grief. So I thought I would just start the show with checking in with you. How are you doing? 
It's a day-by-day process. It's it's just it's nothing. It's totally different than anyone else you've ever lost. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because, I mean, we've had a lot of death in our family in, in the years. I told my therapist a story about how we just sort of, sort of grew up knowing that we had this grandmother um, who passed away, and that was... That was it. We, you know, so death was sort of like present always in our life. And mm. I, I was in the first grade and you were in the fifth grade when we lost a first cousin. I'll be talking to Aunt Sandra about that a little bit in the next episode. Um, but yeah, and we've lost grandparents and you've lost in-law family members, grandparents, your husband's grandparents or grandmother mm. and stuff. So, I mean, we've lost a lot, but it is different. <laughs> Um, what for you has been different? Uh, definitely learned a lot about, I guess, myself mm-hmm. and how I handle it. Um, I've learned, I have what I describe as an internal pressure cooker mm. and the pressure just continues to build and eventually I feel it, feel it like a meter rising in my chest and building and building and it, one day that pressure just has to release. Did you already have that moment? A couple of times. <laughs> a couple of times. So you, yeah. your pressure, your pressure meter has filled up a couple yeah. of times since then. Um, I'm wondering because I, you know, I'm staying with mom, and I'm wondering if you have had the same experience as I have, and and what mom seems to have had too a little bit. Um, that, well, because dad had dementia, and you know, he'd had health problems for the last four years. I mean, he'd had cancer in 2009, but for the last four years, he had been progressively just kind of declining in his physical health. And, and every time he would go back to a facility, a hospital or anything like that for treatment, it would take a a larger toll on his mental capacity. And towards the end, he, he, he didn't suffer too much about 12 hours were pretty rough. The last 12 hours that were, you know, just like, like you do when anybody's on hospice, those last few hours are excruciating for the person who's dying. And, or it it seems like it would be, I mean, I can't Mm. speak for, I can't speak for firsthand (laughs) experience, but what I'm getting at is for the first two weeks after he died, um, I was at a lot of peace because I just was like, thank God he's at peace. He's not suffering anymore. And then it was the beginning of the third week where I was like, oh, this is, this is bad. Like I miss, I miss him. I'm my whole world just feels like it's kind of something, something's wrong in my whole world. I mean, did you have that experience of like the first two weeks of like, oh, some, some little bit of peace with everything. Mm, Mine was at two weeks. I don't think. I don't know Did that you start I ever... off with peace though, and you know peacefulness, and just like I'm glad he's not suffering, and I'm glad that I said everything I said and everything. Or was it just completely different for you? Well, I had that peace that I was very glad that he wasn't suffering anymore, and I was very much at peace with our last conversations and mm-hmm. the last conversations when he was more coherent yeah Um, we had some really good words exchanged so i felt Mm -hmm. really good about all that but i don't know i just missed him from the get-go yeah i um i i i shared um 
I did. Well, I did share on the last episode that I did with Sarah. Um, I sh- it was it actually was recorded before he died. Um, I but I shared my journal entry about just how you know it was it was a complex relationship for him and me. But at the end, I found all the. It wasn't even just peace. It was I found the bond and the 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 love and unconditional love that I was. I just was unsure about for a long time. And I found that in the end. And that really did was just like, that was all I needed and, and stuff. So I really think that's what was, you know, I, I had a perfectly fantastic relationship with dad for the last three days of his life. And that was interesting. But, um, but yeah, I mean, what, what have you found to be true in your grief, the physical manifestations and, the things that your brain sort of fixates on and your heart fixates on. I find myself trying to hear his voice. Mm-hmm. So I don't forget thinking back on things he would say to me. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> I'll tell, I'll say this. I One good memory that I'll probably always keep with me. It's way it was in the the final hours, you know. We were lots of family was around and everything, mm-hmm. and I was sitting there holding his hand. And um, the hospice nurse had come earlier that day to assess him and mm-hmm. and everything. And she had commented on how handsome she could tell he was, and she was looking at his pictures and mm-hmm. that we had. And she said he's such a handsome man. And she had been left by this time, but. I was sitting there and talking to him, and I told him, I said, that hospice nurse was in here telling you, saying how handsome you was and everything. I said, if Mama heard that, then she might, she probably would have kicked her out of here. <laughs> and even in his decreased level of conscious state, I, I got a smirk out of him, mm-hmm. and it was just. Well, and that was, was a, that was what was striking to me, is that he had dementia, and a lot of people who have dementia and you're a nurse, so you can attest to this and speak on this more than I can. But my understanding of dementia is that a lot of people, they lose their memories first and they lose their awareness of who people are first or not first, but pretty early on. And they, cause we've had it all in our family where we've had people who don't know who people are anymore before they lose their faculties and, and such. But and and I hope that I'm not speaking out of turn when I say that that wasn't the case with that. He did lose some of his faculties a lot towards the end, but I don't feel like he ever lost his knowledge of who we all were. Yeah, I agree. He was aware of just like, you know, that was, he, he knew who we all were. Cause I remember, do you remember, um, do you remember what was the last thing that he said to you? Did you take note of that or? Or is it just more of a a, a, a a general feeling in the end of the moments you were sharing? There there were a couple of things that I remember vividly him saying. Um, not exactly sure what the very last thing mm-hmm. was. Um, but I know one of the last things. Um, well, number one, the day he came home, I was wearing my scrubs from school. I'd just come home from work from mm-hmm. school and... Had a pretty 
pretty busy scrub top on. I had some <laughs> birds and flowers and everything. And uh, he looked at me and he said, where did you get that shirt? <laughs> <laughs> well, that makes me feel so much better. I'll tell you why in a moment. And then um, one that was really special. I know it, it wasn't in the last days, but it's one that really stands out. We, he was still sitting up in the chair at this time and um, just talking. And just one of those things that I, I say, you know, to the kids or to Chad or whoever. I looked at him. I said, do you love me? And he looked at me and he said, a whole lot. Mm, so that's, that's good. Yeah, I, I had a moment like that the day he came home as well. Because Eden, your daughter... My beloved niece, who you'll meet in a couple of episodes from now. Um, she FaceTimed me when Pawpaw, her Pawpaw, my dad, came home. And she said, do you want to see Pawpaw? And I said, yeah, I do. So she turned the camera to dad and, and my FaceTimed with dad, which is, you know, not something I ever thought I would do with that man. <laughs> but I did. And he had this long white beard and fluffy curly hair. And I guess I got his curly fluffy hair and but because I have started letting my hair grow out on top and I have curls on top well it I mean we're in the middle of COVID still I mean this is 2020 and COVID is a thing and the salons had been closed down in California they have since opened but there was no salons open so my hair had just grown and grown and grown and grown um and he said, what is going on with your hair? He said, it looks stupid. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, oh, my gosh. And then we t- and then he just grinned because he he's like, it looks stupid. And um, then, you know, we talked for a little bit. And I said, well, I'm going to go. He said, where are you going? To find a good haircut? <laughs> so he, he loved to razz us. But I do remember. Well, I know. Okay, so the the very, very last thing that he ever audibly said to me, and I don't know why, I don't know what he was trying to say, he just looked up at me and he said, Alabama. (laughs) And so I was like, all right, cool, cool. He was a big Mm -hmm. Alabama football fan, so I'm sure it was something about that that he was trying to articulate. But the thing that I, that really, I, I got the message and I knew what he was saying, um, was, in, on the last day, you know, it was it was when he was starting to run a fever and he was still kind of talking to us and everything, but he was he was fading fast at that point. And I just, you know, walked over just to see him and look at him and kiss him on the forehead. And I said, I lo- and I grabbed his hand, you know, we were holding, I was holding his hand and he was holding mine, sort of in a gesture, how you would arm wrestle. You know, our hands were locked, linked like that. And... I said, I love you. And he said, I love you. And then I, and then, and I just kind of looked at him for a minute and he pulled my hand to his chest and he hugged it and he said, oh. my son. Oh. And I was just like, that's it. And and that's when I kind of knew, I was like, oh yeah, there, this is it. So that'll be the story that I tell. That was the last thing he yeah. said, not Alabama. <laughs> <laughs> it was like the yeah. last thing he said was the sweetest thing you could hear. Oh, yeah. And not the last thing was Alabama. <laughs> so, but, um, but yeah, I mean, what do you, I mean, you said you learned a lot about yourself in grief. I mean, what, articulate that a little more, elaborate on that. I guess I really truly learned what grief is. Like I said, we lost, we've had a lot of loss in our family. Mm-hmm. 
but none of them has been like this. I've never yeah. experienced any of these feelings before with any other loss. So, what are the I've, feelings? The uh, if you don't mind, the building of the pressure. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can physically feel it rising in my chest, mm-hmm. and I know it's coming. The other night, I don't really know how to describe it. The only way I really know how to describe it is a mini panic attack. Yeah. But I don't feel like it was a real panic attack. But I felt the pressure rising really quickly. And it there was a big knot in my chest. Mm-hmm. And it felt like it was really hard to breathe. Was that due to thoughts you were having? Or is it... Man, is it just like it's a weird, just physical thing? Because I, I've been having that. Like, I've been having physical, just like, I feel sadness, but it's just physical sadness. Rather than like, I've been thinking about him and I'm like emotional. Right. It's well, a physical. I mean, I think back, you know, I, I think it's it's more physical, definitely. Because mm-hmm. usually the thoughts don't necessarily make me sad you know I mm-hmm. think back to the funeral some and but <clears throat> it was it's mostly been physical and it was the strangest thing I asked Chad for a drink of water I thought that might help and when I took that drink of water my tongue felt numb mm. and it scared me a little bit yeah that is yeah that's scary but I you know, being in the medical field, I I knew kind of what I was experiencing. Yeah. That it was probably anxiety, grief, whatever you call it. Nothing. Yeah. Well. But nothing medical. On Monday, or, this past Monday, this is Saturday, you know, it's the third week after he died. Monday, it was two weeks to the day that he had passed on Monday, and... I I just felt lonely all day. Like, I was with Mom. Leon, our cousin, came over and, um, you know, spent some time. We'd, we've, been do, we've been doing a lot of work around Mom's house. Just, um, you know, stuff, because able-bodied and willing hands are there. So, she's like, put you to work. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it was just, it just felt lonely in a way that just didn't make any sense. Like, because I've been around people, and I've been around my family, and I've been in contact with my people in L.A., and it just didn't, there was no reason for me to feel lonely, because I wasn't, like, alone, but I did. I just felt really lonely and sad, and then the rest of this week has just been kind of, like, very sad in a way that I'm just like, oh, I I guess we're, you know, and I'd had two weeks where I was just like, I'm at peace with it. And that's the ebb and the flow, I think. It just comes out of mm-hmm. nowhere. Yeah. And, you know, and I, I say this, like, people, I, I watch The View. I, I say my aesthetic is 55-year-old woman. And Megan McCain has made a huge deal out of, like, the grief process. And I'm just like, and, and I, I've, I feel bad because, I mean, I don't know her. We're not friends. I, we're not even enemies. I don't, I don't even know her. But, like, I would just feel like, oh, here we go again. She's talking about her grief. And I get it now that, like, it it took her about nine months to just, like, stop talking about it. About, about stop saying I'm in the grieving space. And I'm like, what does she mean, the grieving space? And I'm like, oh, 
I get it. I get it now. Like yeah. it just comes over and you're, you just, it affects your relationships. Sometimes it affects how you associate with people. Definitely. Um, I lashed out at people in, in the days afterward in in a way that I don't usually do. And some of it was my work from therapy of, you know, standing up for myself and having agency. And some of it was just lashing out at the people that I'm closest to. Have you been doing any of that? Lashing out? <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, poor Chad. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, me too. I, I kind of lashed out at your husband a couple of times. So poor Chad, every way, um, all, over the, all the way. On good days, it's, you know... Not so bad. I, I describe them. I have good days and not so good days, mm-hmm. and I have bad days. Yeah. Um, but the not so good days and the bad days, I, f- I have a shorter temper, shorter fuse, and I'll pop off mm-hmm. when I shouldn't really. And, yeah. And things seem to get to me a lot quicker than they normally would mm-hmm. on those not so good days. Well, I mean, and two, you started a new job this year as a school nurse. During the worst world pandemic of anybody living has seen that anybody living has seen, so that that's not easy. You know that's a that's a tough position to be in in charge of an entire school of children and keeping them safe and you know keeping them organized for when you know when symptoms are going to pop up of this pandemic and you have to you have to control who's been around them and what the plan for moving forward for the students and for the school as a whole, you have to be the one to report on that and stuff. So that's just not easy. And to go through this while you're having to deal with that and you're new, it's not like, you know, you know, these are all these people intimately like you would have had you been there a couple of years. So it's, it's a lot. Is that been a lot for you? Because I have been off for a month. I came, I moved or moved. I, came to Alabama on September 6th and I'm going back to Los Angeles on October 7th and so I haven't returned to my life after the funeral yet I've just been off work just hanging out with my sister and my mother and my niece and nephew and brother-in-law and cousins so yeah I mean it was very hard going back to work um I'm actually kind of working two jobs right now mm -hmm. and the first day back to work was a shift in the ER. And then I went back to school the day after that. And it was just really hard getting back in the swing of things and, um, and all, but I mean, I don't know everybody real well, but everybody's been so supportive and let me know they're praying. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, truly made me feel like a part of the family, even though I've only been there mm-hmm. a month and a half. So, yeah. That's Has it already helped. been a month and a half since you started that job? Yeah. I mean, this year, I don't know. It's, you know, sometimes this year feels like it's been an eternity, and then sometimes it feels like it's just been a few seconds. I, I just, I guess there's no rhythm and rhyme and reason to 2020 at all. Yeah. September was a whirlwind for sure. Oh, yeah. That was that was a weird one. Um, yeah, I like I said, I haven't been back to work. I'm a little nervous to go back to Los Angeles and, and my life there. And I think that might've been a, you know, and I won't say interruption, but it, it had been a, it's been a caveat to grief that mom hasn't been alone 
yet it fully. I mean, she's alone tonight because I'm spending the night with you. But, you know, it, for her, it's going to be different next week. And for me, it's going to be different next week because I'm going to be back in my old space. And, and and it's a space that Dad has never been. And um, and it's, you know, it's it's going to be weird to just, I guess, I wonder if the, it was weird for you to just pick up and carry on. The, and I haven't picked up and carried on yet. I've just been sort of in the nesting space with family. It was, yeah, it was definitely weird. Um, the plan was, you know, I came home or I came to mom's house after work that Saturday night and mm-hmm. um, spent the night. That was the plan all along. And then Sunday's when he took a turn and mm-hmm. ended up passing. And you didn't leave until a day or two after the funeral. And he ended up, yeah, I ended up passing that Monday and I just, I couldn't leave. It just, mm-hmm. so, you know, of course Chad was great and went back and forth and did things I needed, but. Yeah, I will I say, I want to give your husband a shout out just because he kind of just ran around and did everything for everybody to just let me and you and mom just be in that space Yeah, and just, you know, and, and we've had extended family and, um. I'm hoping that I can get Carrie on the show, our cousin, our first cousin, um, because she was she was she's been great of just you know kind of being a steady mind during a lot of things. She took us shopping, and I kind of had the foresight of being like, we need somebody who's not us to do this because yeah. we're gonna ha- we're gonna be so have we're gonna have so many trepidations about you know wanting to get it just right or whatever yeah. and or just not having the capacity to do what needs to be done and. But and so we've had some people around, but our people, and you know, especially Chad, just kind of rallied to let us just be in that space and be, you know, there. Yeah, there were several people throughout the process that were were like that, but yeah, it just it didn't feel natural when it was time to go back to work. Mm-hmm. I knew I had to go home. It was it was Friday, and actually the day after the funeral and I knew the time was coming I was going to have to go home Coy had a football game the next day and I knew you know I need, wanted to be there needed to be there so I knew it was time to go home and it just mm-hmm. didn't want to yeah I felt like I was I don't know I can't describe it did it feel like, did you feel like you were disrespecting dad by going home and going back to work? Or did it feel like it just, you were leaving the funeral in the middle of it kind of thing? You know, even though, I mean, that's not the case, but you know, is can you articulate it or is it just something that you just, it was bad or it was off and you can't explain it? I guess I felt like I was leaving the process mm-hmm. or whatever. To yeah. get back to normal life. Well, and, and I had been talking to Ethan um, this week about it, and he said something, and, and, and I don't want him to feel bad about it because his parents are a good decade younger than mom, who is six years younger than dad. So, I mean, he's, his parents are still relatively young, and he's, he's still got, he, are, he still has most of his grandparents. He's lost one grandfather. Um, so... I just chalked this up to, you know, you have, he hasn't had to deal with it yet, but he said, 
I think you're ready to to leave them to leave there and stop mourning and get back to your regular life. And I said, that's not how it's going to be, Ethan. I, I'm, you you don't just you know you don't mourn for a couple of days after the funeral and you're done. I said, grief is a is a is a space that you occupy for quite a while and I don't know maybe in some ways your whole life for the rest of your life to to miss your family you know because like when Eden gets married or when Koi gets married you're gonna you're probably gonna go back to a grieving space of I wish dad were here or you know what but I just it, it was interesting for to hear him say that because I think a lot of people think that's how it is and I'm finding that that's not like you you find I mean it it really does it really does jar your whole life I think mm-hmm. and I was I was looking online just kind of I, I wrote my friend Mandy Shanara Reed who's been on the podcast um, she's a she's a book expert and you know published author and everything and I wrote her and I said I need your help I need some books I said because I'm I'm in the grief space I said that's what I'm calling it I'm grieving and it's and I'm not doing well with it this week. I said, I need you to recommend some books to just help me feel normal at least in all this. And, um, and she, and she came through with some books and, and I, I want to get those books and I'll, I'll pass them along to you too. I'll be like, Hey, we need to read this cause we got to do this. But I, I found myself wanting to find out what the science or, you know, what the psychological science behind grieving is and everything. And, and I found some stuff about how, when you lose a parent of any kind of parent, it sort of jump starts this anxiety and this, you know, thought process at least about your own mortality. And I read, you know, some stuff that said that when you lose your mother, your sense of nurture in life and your sense of like love and, you know, tenderness in your life is jarred. And when you lose your dad, your sense of stability can get really jarred. Um, do you find anything of that nature in your life happening right now? Your, your, your sense, you know, your awareness of your own mortality and your sense of stability being jarred Um, in a way that like your world here with your two kids, Eden and Koi and your husband, it's not different, but does it feel different a little bit? Like you're like, find yourself second guessing your own stability in that, you know? Yeah. I mean, I can, with the whole grieving process, you know, I've always been an emotional person, Mm -hmm. but it's never been, I've never been one for it to just come out of nowhere like it does. Mm -hmm. And I find myself, thinking about the next time that's going to happen or when, you know, am I going to have this next breakdown or. Yeah. So I do feel unstable in that aspect. Mm-hmm. So I've, I've never, never had a, a, just an all over the place kind of emotion thing. Yeah. I'm, I'm an emotional person. I cry with people, you know, and. Um, <laughs> I think you and me both are the kind of. People who will see a particular commercial and be like, oh, that, that lady can go to the bathroom now. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, but the uh, the near panic attack, um, 
the other day. I mean, it kind of shook me. Yeah. Because I don't really have never had that before. I, I've always had trouble. I've had a lot of trouble, really, with my own mortality. I don't know. I don't know. Something happened, I think, around when Derek died that I was just, I was scared to death of death. Um, and it was so much so that, like, there was a time, and I don't know, this is convoluted, and I don't want to get too much into it, but Ethan and I moved to this apartment temporarily as we were trying to transition out of New York. We had already left our permanent home, and we were kind of just staying in room to room, whatever, in apartments that we were renting by the week, by the month, whatever. And the last one place we stayed, we stayed for a month, and it was desolate it was like there was plywood over the windows like it was this beautiful neighborhood and it looked like a a house that had been condemned by the government it was awful like there was this the steps to the second floor was cinder block cinder blocks instead of actual stairs like a full set of stairs made out of cinder blocks like you just wobble all the way up to them and like there was a curtain over the door for the bathroom rather than an actual bathroom door. And I'm like, well, thank God we know each other well enough to just have this. But the whole time I was there, I like, I had like, all I could think about was dread for my own death. Like my life was short and finite and I'm dreading my death. Like there've been moments like that for me in my whole life. And it took me a while to get over that. I think there was some, I mean, I don't know. I mean, if you believe in ghosts or like bad spirits, I think there was some bad spirits in that house that was making me really paranoid and sad. But that so much so that that's been a thing for me my whole life to the point when I was doing my intake forms for my therapy stuff, I put that on there. And my therapist, she told me, to, actually today, she was like, I think next session I'd really like to explore your feelings about your own mortality because you had said on the intake forms that that's actually a problem for you and she was just like so I'd like to explore that and I'm like I think we probably need to because it hasn't been a problem not one little bit has it been a problem right now and they say that that's the thing that gets triggered when a parent dies is your awareness of your own mortality and I've had a lot of peace about the finite finite I guess fact about life being so finite and really short when you think about it in the grand scheme of things I've I've been at peace with it because I think I'm in a space now where I'm just trying to live authentically and show people that I love them and just I'm really living in the moment right now more so than you know trying to think about 10 days from now or what all the stuff that we do um but yeah but I, I will say also, the stability factor that I mentioned previously, that's real. Like, I'm really struggling with that. And another thing that, um, that I, that was really, that came out in session one was that I've always felt like I didn't belong anywhere. Like, really, like, I just never felt like I belonged, like, in my friend group, in, in co- in high school or in, in school, um, on my track team, I won medals at the state championships, but I still didn't feel like it was mine. I didn't feel like it was like a place to belong, you know, like that's just been my thing all the, all along. And, um, I finally found, I've, I've got a little group of friends in Los Angeles that I do. I feel like I belong 
100%. Like, I am secure in that. And they sent, like, they sent me pictures. Like, two of my friends went hiking um, the other day, and they sent me a picture on from the trail. And I was just like, oh, they're going hiking without me. Like, it just, like, every bit of my stability and, like, self of self-security and all that just started to wane. And, um, like, Ethan was like, I'm watching the debate with, you know, so-and-so. And I was like, he knows that politics is my thing. Why would he go watch the debate with someone else? I'm like, I'm not even there. So, and I would be, like, pissed off at him if I'm like, you didn't watch the debate? This is important to me. You know, I w- there was it was a no-win situation, but, like, it is. It's starting to shake my, you know, stir up all those anxieties again that I've come to help heal in therapy. And I'm like, and she's, she told me, she was just like, I, I think we're almost ready to graduate you out of weekly or biweekly therapy and just kind of have, you know, periodic quarterly check-ins on how you're doing. And then, then dad died and she's like, okay, maybe not. Mm -hmm. Maybe we'll just hang out here for a little while. (laughs) So yeah, I've, it shook me. Like, my yeah. stability is just, like, shaky right now. Um, so, I don't know. It's it's interesting. Yeah. It's a process. I don't know. It's good to have people around you, though, that, you know. Mm-hmm. One thing I found is, um, probably, I guess, about a month before Daddy passed away, there was a friend from church. Um, her dad passed away from mm-hmm. COVID-19. And, yeah, you know, at that point, my heart just hurt so bad for her losing her dad but then my dad passed away and it's like wow i know what she's going through Mm -hmm. and so she and i have actually been uh texting back and forth and kind of been a good little support system for each other Mm -hmm. and so do you want to give her first name at least her is delina delina that's pretty i like that delina Mm -hmm. how old is she is she she's probably around my age Hmm. Maybe a little younger. Yeah. She's in her thirty mid thirties probably anyway. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Well that's good. So, I mean who who else has been anybody else specific like some anybody else like just like shout out worthy that's been like, Yep, that's that's my that's my ride or die right there. Well, Chad for sure. Yeah. He's you know, whatever I need if I'm having a bad day, he just knows that I just need to mm-hmm. be held and he holds me and Yeah. You know, he's mm-hmm. helped me a lot get through a lot. And so. Yeah, I um, I have Billy. Billy, I mean, Ethan is, you know, he's... Ethan, I, I mean, I, I feel bad for him sometimes because it's not easy to... to <laughs> it's not easy to be my person <laughs> all the time. I'm not... I'm a very... I'm a, I'm a polarizing figure sometimes because I'm, I'm very particular but I'm also very wishy-washy oh, Chad tells me I'm hard to love <laughs> it's a country song you're hard he to love tells me I'm hard to love so yeah but he I mean he's been great and Billy the friend kind of I guess not really I mean I would put our put him in the the, the Delina category of um just like that person that's not your family that is just kind of there to understand I'm actually having some issues with a friend um in los angeles now like it's, it's some disrespect thing um and i don't want to go into it too much on you know whatever it's i mean it's super private but 
Billy, he was just like, like I told him about the problem and he, and he just started crying. And I said, what's the matter? He said, you've been through so much this week, this month. He's like, I just don't understand how this too can be something that you now have to deal with. And he has, he's been great. He's like, if you need me to cut a bitch, I'll cut a bitch. <laughs> and I'm like, and like, I'm just like, that's what you need. Somebody who's like, who am I killing today? You know, who am I going to do, uh, do in, but, um, but yeah, he's, he's been great. Uh, we already have a, a day at the beach planned for next week when I get back. Cause he lives at the beach in a beach house. Everybody can be jealous of him. Yeah. Is there anything that you are finding strength in? in your life right now that you're surprised by? Um, well, this may seem weird, but, um, and if you know me, you know, I, I'm, um, I rely a lot on my faith Mm -hmm. and, um, I realize how much God truly takes care of me. And, um, he's really showed out through all this, you know, um, last Saturday, Koi's ball game I woke up I was having a horrible horrible day and you you and I were sitting there and this little butterfly just comes out of nowhere Mm -hmm. and lands on my fingers well and it was it was weird because I was sitting there and it came in front of me and I and it was so it was so calm and almost slow motion uh, to the point where I had the wherewithal and the the pa- there was a patience to time in that moment when I was able to point out the butterfly and you were able to focus in on the butterfly and watch the butterfly come to you and land yeah. on your hand. It was, it was a, re- it was a really, it was a really fascinating, like otherworldly moment. Mm-hmm. That butterfly sat with me on my hand mm-hmm. for 10 minutes and, mm-hmm. you know, that was really emotional for me. And of course I started crying then, of course, you know, yeah. and I did too. And I, I mean, I, t- I, we were both wearing sunglasses, so we're both just like crying at a football game. And, uh, but you know, is that my daddy coming to say hi? I, you know, I don't know. But one thing I know for sure is I feel in my heart mm-hmm. that that's God sending me a message yeah. that, He's there. Everything's okay. And uh, well, and and to bring it to a you know we are all one space kind of moment. All religions are are rooted in love and compassion for one another, and all religions teach you. Well, all of the main you know Hindu, Muslim, Christian, Jewish, you know Buddhist, even teach you that we're all it's all connected. Everything's all connected through the power of a higher being. Um, And I think, you know, if that's the case and, you know, whatever higher being you believe in, you know, God is how is what we name that as Christians. um, He can use any of it to, to send a message. And, you know, like this, the troubles that I'm going through, I'm like, Why? And I do. I mean, I tell my therapist, she goes, it, it's happening for a reason. She goes, you believe in God, right? And I said, yeah. And she said, God's telling you something. And, um, and I, I do, I think, I think that's, if that, if that, if that's the case, if, if we're all connected, then it has to be true that God has, or that dad has become a part of nature in that way. Or, you know, that's him. You know, it's it's just as much him as it is God as it is whatever, and 
you know, sometimes you just know for sure. Like yeah. it felt like that was a, a message. Yeah. Of peace. And uh, the other night when, um, I think it was last, this past Wednesday night, actually, um, we were coming back. You know, that's when I had the really bad episode, near panic attack episode. And uh, it was really strange because after it was over, I was so exhausted. It just drained me. Mm-hmm. So I was, we had just gotten back, pulled in the driveway. I was sitting in the car for just a minute. Just I was just drained. And um, Chad came up to me. So I turned to get out. And over his shoulder in the sky, there was a shooting star. Really? Yes. You didn't tell me that. I just got chills. And I was, and at that moment, I was like, it was a, a feeling of relief. Mm-hmm. It was, I mean, and, and I can't explain that. How do you, I mean, you, how do you right. explain that? That was just, I mean, I've, that was just a message mm-hmm. to me. I mean, I just, I mean, I don't know. It just, and maybe it isn't the shooting star. Maybe it's the fact that you noticed it. That is the that is the strangeness or whatever. But I mean, that it's all a you know it's it's you're getting these messages from somewhere, um, and messages that you need. Yeah. Um. Well, I we mom and I had a weird moment. Um, actually, I think it was the night of the funeral. You had uh, that was the night you went home, I think, wasn't it? Or did, was the night it, after you went the home? You stayed the night of the funeral, yeah. so it was the first night you weren't there. It was the first night that it was just me and mom in the house again. And, you know, Aunt Sandra had stayed a couple of times here and there. And, you know, it was just me and mom again. And, you know, like you said, exhaustion after it's all over with. We didn't sleep much. We had, you know, we had just kind of been meandering through the days in that week of his funeral. Um, And so she was, she has this little den off the hallway. um, And she was sitting in her recliner in the den and, you know, the lights were dim, and I just came, kind of came into the door and stood at the door um, because there's there's three bedrooms in the house, and the, that's the first bedroom down the hall, and then there's two more down there, the master bedroom and another bedroom that you used to live in. And I was just standing there talking to her, and then all of a sudden I heard Dad start snoring in the master bedroom, like a couple of snores. And I looked down the hall... Like, you know, I'm trying to think, what was that? What was what was that noise? What made that sound just like Dad snoring? And I, I was like, nothing. There's nothing back there. I, it's just, it's just, that was Dad snoring. And I look back, and Mom's just looking at me, grinning, and I said, what? And she goes, I heard it too. Hmm. And I said, all right, there we are. Hmm. So... You know, I don't know what that means, but it's just, it was just weird that it was it was that the same pattern, sound, everything, the way that he would snore when he was in yeah. a, in a sleep, in, you know, sleeping back there, and I heard it, and independently of that, mom heard it too. Yeah, and so he's around, like he's here, and I don't know, he's just been so inactive in his life in the last four years, really. Like he's, just, I mean, he's. He's had a lot of burdens to to carry. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. There's just little things that I'm like, "Oh, he's 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 full of energy now." Yeah. He's he's here and he's he's doing his thing, letting us know he's still with us and protecting us cuz that was that was him. He he worked. He was a worker. Yep. So I'm I'm anxious to see what kind of 
I guess I've realized that anxious in in the eagerness way that we say it in the South, that's a Southern thing. Like people yeah. are like, why are you so anxious? I'm like, I mean, in a good way, I'm, I'm eager. So yeah. that's what I mean. I'm eager to see, um, see what kind of work he's going to do for us on the other side. Yeah. You know, because I think he'll be there. I think there'll be moments that something will happen in your job that'll be good or something will come my way in Los Angeles and I'll know that it was sent by him. You know? Yeah. So that's his role. You're right. I mean, he was a worker and provider provider always mm-hmm. comes to mind. We always yeah. had what we needed and, and then some, mm-hmm. so. he's the only man I've ever, I've never heard of anybody else doing this in life. He and mom bought some land with the money they had. Um, they bought a trailer one that they had, you know, just a single wide mobile home, one that they could afford with the money they had, and then they worked. They worked their butts off, and every time Dad would get a little money, like he dug a basement, and then he built a foundation out of cash that he had in his pocket, and then he slowly, over the course of several years, built a house so that he wouldn't have bank debt for a house. Mm-hmm. And that's what he did. He built, I mean, he built a life with his own two hands for all of us, and I mean, that's profound. You don't hear of that. And we, and it's not that, you know, people aren't as good as our dad. You know, it was, people don't have that opportunity anymore. You can't do that in the society, in the, in the life that we live now. You have to borrow money for a house. You have yeah. to do this. You have to do that. But just him working his butt off with that kind of work ethic, that's, that's fascinating. Yeah. So. Discipline. Mm-hmm. What do you think you got from him the most? Um, I don't know. That might be a better question for you to answer. Can you say <laughs> that? <laughs> I don't know. I'll say mine first, just because I don't. I don't know that I can say this for you, but I, I know for sure I did get his work ethic. Like I, I'm the work that I do. I'm very proud of. You know, I want to be disciplined in my work, but I also know I got his temper. Like I like to the point where I remember when dad would say things that when we were little and I didn't like this, that he said this and you know, it's just, it's not, I'm not going to romanticize it now that he's dead, that it was like, it was fine. I I still didn't like it, but whenever we would do something, instead of like say, telling us why that was bad, he would say, I don't like that. (laughs) And you know, do you remember that? He was, I don't like that. You know, and he said that to me sometimes. Maybe it was just me, maybe because yeah. I was the problem child. <laughs> he would say that. But there have been times in my life when I somebody would say something, and I'd say, I don't like that. And I'm like, whoa, <laughs> no, 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 that's not good. Let's, <laughs> let's go ahead and be a little more articulate about our, our anger here. Um, but, yeah, I got his anger. Like, I, I don't tolerate laziness a lot, and I don't tolerate um, – I, to- I don't tolerate – yeah, that kind of just like half-assing it. But that's yeah. what I got from him, and and I don't know, I don't know that you got his temper, but I, I, I think you you got a sense of ownership and pride in your family, the family you're building. I think yeah. that's that's truly what it is. I mean, and you take your your marriage as seriously as he and mom did, and you take your you know love and for your kids and helping them to develop to be well-rounded, respected people because so many kid people don't 
think about how their kids will be respected and how they will be respectful of uh, adults and of you know elders and and circumstances you know like people poor people or you know people who have a need or people who have a disability or have people who have something that makes them different you are teaching your children to just have respect for them in a way that we were taught like that by dad yeah so well that's nice to hear <laughs> um i don't know i guess you know he and mom both instilled it in us but you know daddy would give the shirt off his back to somebody if they needed it and mm-hmm. i don't know I, I i like to help people yeah so maybe you know they instilled it in us but you know i know i guess that's why i become a nurse but mm-hmm. i do you know anybody has a need or a situation that comes up i i just mm-hmm. scrounge looking for ways that i might could help them yeah it, it's interesting because i i know that something that i take with me from dad, this is—I don't know. I—I I don't know if he told you this, and I, I don't suppose he would have because you're not a man. <laughs> um, but he told me I, around 15, 13, 14, 15, and sixteen, he started really instilling in me that a man is only as good as his word. He said, "If you say you're going to do something, you better do it. If you tell somebody you're going to show up at this time, you better show up at this time." He said, "Because they got to—you got to be somebody people can depend on." And, you know, if you can't keep your word, you better let people know as quickly as possible and as thoroughly as possible. And that's something that I'm finding that is a Southern trait. Now that I've lived in New York City and Los Angeles, I'm like, oh, okay, that's me. And and it's like, it's just profound that I am who I am in that way of the work ethic and being on time and being a man of my word. It's profound in Los Angeles because it's so rare. And I'm like, well, that that's my dad. Yeah. I got that from him. You know, I'm, I'm more like mom. I'm, I'm very much like mom, but that is the portion of me that came from dad. So, yeah. <clears throat> he for sure stuck to his word. If he said it, you can believe it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And he was pretty quiet. He was pretty, he was, you know, still waters run deep with him. So, mm. well, I, um, I want to thank you for coming to the show. And, and I, I just really think that, especially in this year when there's so many people who have lost someone, hearing two people or hearing a family talk about their grief so openly, I think it's going to help a lot of people. And, you know, and I think it's going to help a lot of our people who might listen to, to heal from this because um, my aunt, or my aunt Sandra, you know her. <laughs> I've met uh, her before. <laughs> um, aunt Sandra, she was, she keeps kind of checking in on mom and, and everything. And mom was like, well, she just, I feel like she needs, she feels a need to take care of me. And I said, well, I think that's a pastoral type care that some people just go right to when they're grieving. And I said, I think that might be her way of grieving dad to just be the nursemaid, to be the, the, mm-hmm. the, the organizer, to be the person who takes care of everybody else because, you know, that's what she's doing. And, and I, you know, I hope our, our family will listen and, and take comfort and take part and maybe, you know, keep the conversation going. Cause I mean, we all have to rely on one another yeah, in, sure. in grief. And, um, and we, we had an uncle who gave us some good advice no, yeah. On 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 taking care of siblings, so yeah. you know yeah. he seems to be the expert. So um, 
I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to lean yeah. into you. I'll be there for you. Give me your hand. <laughs> oh, well, man. Well, I do thank you for having me in the conversation. Yeah. I mean, it's it's great. I mean, you're the first. You're sort of the the first person in this, you know, sort of exploration of grief. So thank you for being that. And I look forward to more conversations um, and, you know, in private of just where we are. With, with it and, you know, maybe more stories about dad yeah. on the other side when you see him show up. <laughs> yeah. what How you feel and how you interpret things yeah. and everything. But that will do it for the first installment of our Exploring Grief episodes. And if you want to uh, follow me on Instagram, you can follow me at Kyle L. Henderson. If you want to follow me on Twitter, follow me at Kyle L. Henderson. If you would like to be a part of the conversation, go to the Facebook page at Not For Nothing. And don't forget to rate and subscribe to Not For Nothing on your favorite podcast app. Do you want anybody to follow you on Instagram or Facebook or anything? I have Instagram, but I'm not very active. <laughs> so don't follow her. She don't want you. I'm Megan Henderson Trammell on Facebook. <laughs> and Megan is spelled M-A-G-A-N because... Our parents wanted you to never find your name in life yes. on keychains or car tags or bracelets yes. or magnets. So, but I think we need a little bit more coffee and more conversation without 400 of our most eager listeners. Thanks, guys. Have a good one.